Have you ever had a feeling that your pet was talking to you? Do you think you can communicate with animals? Well, this week we've got a very special guest who's an animal communicator and tell you all about that this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And let's face it, most of us view ourselves somewhat of an animal communicator. We kind of view ourselves as the Dr. Doolittle of our profession. Whether you're a veterinary technician, a veterinarian, a practice manager, assistant, it doesn't matter. We all feel like we have a special ability to communicate somehow with the pets and animals that we serve. Well, this week, we got a person who takes it to a whole nother level and really gets into the world of animal communication. And that's about all I can tell you. So before we get into meeting our guest this week, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And you know, in this industry, we all kind of pride ourselves on the saying, we speak for those who can't. But today's guest, Dr. Barbara Shore, is putting that statement to question. Um, and we're putting it all on the table's we talk about can our pets really communicate and how can we communicate and who can communicate with them. Dr. Barbara Shore is a veterinarian. She graduated from Colorado State University. Um, and, and I won't say when. Uh, <laughs> I think she started when she was five. And so um, she has been in this industry for years all over the country in all different aspects. Um, she has been um, out in California at the University of California, Davis. She has done wildlife work in East Africa. She has dabbled in holistic medicine and she has settled herself in a pretty amazing space is an animal communicator. And so Dr. Barbara, we are so excited to have you here today and to have this, this conversation and learn more about you and what you do. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you both. Well, Barbara, I just want to start off. We're both veterinarians. Of course, Becky is a registered veterinary technician. And I think there's a lot of confusion around when people say they're animal communicators. And the reason we're so excited is like, you're one of us, like you're legitimately a veterinarian, but you also believe in these other special abilities. So first of all, start off by defining, at least as you define it, an animal communicator. Well, I, uh, an animal communicator to me is someone who speaks with animals intuitively or we could say telepathically. So we're relating on a whole different level than what we would do in our everyday life. We're speaking at a very deep level um, and that's basically what it is. Okay, so when you say communicate at a deep level, explain that to me. I mean, okay. are we hearing voices? Are you getting feelings? Do you see colors and stars? I mean, what? what how does that feel or look or, you know, help me. Okay. I think everyone can do this in some way. And we all have different areas that we're better at. Um, for me, I don't see a lot of things. I don't get colors. I don't hear some booming deep voice coming in. I, I, um, I sense things emotionally. I can feel the emotions of other beings. You might call it a form of empathy. Uh, I, I do receive messages. A lot of my messages that I get are either verbally, like I'll, I'll get thoughts that I can speak or write, um, 
and um, I just sense things. So each person has their own way. Some people are more visual and they get visual images. Some people experience things through their dreams. It's just different for, for everyone. So I kind of want to rewind the tape here a little bit. When we talk, you know, as a technician um, and, and with our guests, I always ask our veterinary guests, you know, were you always a veterinarian? Did you kind of come out with a stethoscope or did you decide you were going to get into veterinary medicine later in life? And so I'm kind of interested in your journey where, you know, when you identified, um, you know, animals were your thing, when you noticed communication ability, and then how that led to your journey into and out of veterinary medicine to kind of end up in your space today. Because again, you did this I think before it was something that people were leaning into or being more open-minded and accepting of. So you were really paddling upstream. Yeah, it's true. And it hasn't been an easy paddle, I will say. But um, I started out actually, um, I started out working with wolves and coyotes in Indiana, of all places, doing um, behavior studies or ethology. And I loved it. I loved being with those animals. But um, I continued on, and I became a dog trainer for a few years, a professional dog trainer. And I loved working with the dogs. I loved getting into their heads and helping people. But um, I couldn't stand all the barking. (laughs) I couldn't couldn't stay in the kennel with barking dogs. And I decided there was something else. So eventually... Um, through a a long journey of volunteering in veterinary hospitals, volunteering at the Denver Zoo, where I lived for a long time, I decided that I wanted to be a veterinarian. So it was a little, I was one of the older students. I think I was about 27 when I went back to school and took two years of pre-veterinary courses before I could even apply, and then four years of vet school. And in vet school, my I continued with my passion of wild animals. I worked with wildlife as much as I could. I continued doing some zoo work. And um, eventually I graduated, went into private practice. And um, after that, I, uh, I, I got accepted into a residency at UC Davis in non-domestic animal medicine, which was zoo animals, wildlife, um, injured, injured everything, raptors and everything else. And I did that for a year and then worked with California Fish and Game for two years, did a deer condition study. And all this time, you know, loving animals, it's always been a love for me. I felt like there was something more. I felt like there was... um, Uh, an emotional aspect to the animals and an intellectual aspect. I wanted to know what they're thinking and how they're feeling. And all the training and work I had done wasn't really giving that to me. So um, that was on my mind. And I spent a year in East Africa working with animals of all kinds. And when I came back, I went into veterinary practice again and, um, I decided if I if I wasn't in love with practice after a while and I felt confident in what I was doing, that I would do something else. And so after about a year and a half of that, 
I got out of practice and I went into holistic medicine because I was interested in homeopathy and herbs and all that stuff. But along the way, I went to a veterinary conference in Hawaii and I met an animal communicator and I did an afternoon workshop with her and that was it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I thought, this is amazing that you can actually get into the minds of these animals and, and know what they're thinking and feeling and actually help them in that way. So that was kind of my journey. It wasn't like I was born an animal communicator like a lot of people were, a lot of animal communicators. It was a process for me. And once I decided I wanted to be an animal communicator, again, it was a process of undoing all the conditioning I'd had um, to believe that this wasn't legitimate. And it took me many, many years to trust it. Okay, so you've you've really touched on, I think, the biggest cause of skepticism amongst our peers, and that is most of the animal communication experts, whatever, they position themselves as possessing these innate superpowers. Like th these are things that transcend normal, right? So like, like there's a famous cat guy who says, you know, a thunderstorm and suddenly he could hear cats talking, you know? And so we're all kind of going, wait, what? But you're saying there's a process. I mean, you, you seem to be a very pragmatic person. I mean, you're a veterinarian, so you know you're didactical. So explain the process. I mean, you know, you said you have to abandon some of your preconceived notions, but just walk me through, like, I mean, what if I wanted to be an animal communicator? Could anybody be an animal communicator? I, I believe we can, especially people in the veterinary field who clearly, to my mind, love animals. Why else would you do right, it? Right, right. And here's something. I really believe that love is the key. It's like the little key that opens the door to communion and communication with other beings, not just animals, but I'll be a little bold here and say plants, the earth herself, um, energy of places. You can connect with anything because I believe that everything has consciousness. So, so it's a practice, you know, just like veterinary medicine, you're not going to be good at it unless you practice it. That's why it's called veterinary practice. Right, right. And it's, it's the same with, with this. Um, it's practice and it's, it's commitment. And it's that love that you feel for the animal that you're working with, to my mind, that really, that really provides the entryway um, to true communication. I think it's such an interesting point that you make because I think there's a lot of people who could um, sort of maybe automatically roll their eyes at that kind of sentiment. But scientifically, we do see – I mean, you think about the way tree root systems communicate, right? Fungi, that is yeah. scientific and proven, and they are plants that we don't assume are sentient beings. But we do actually see means of communication, and I almost roll my eyes more readily at people who think – it couldn't be possible when we have seen really, truly the amazing functions of the brain and the the fact that we only use such a tiny part of it. So um, I I think that the it's, it's hard to be open-minded around these kinds of things, but I think you can really kind of start to break down instances where it, it does seem obviously very possible. And like you said, there's a practice behind it. So I'm kind of interested in like, 
what that looks like. Like, what does chapter one on the book of communicating with animals look like? And what does that starting process look like? You said you learned from someone and just sort of interested in how that how that ball got rolling. Okay. When I started, which was like, I don't know, over 25 years ago, there were a few communicators who had been doing it for years, and some of them were teaching somewhat. Um, what was hard for me, really hard for me in the beginning, is that most of these people that I encountered said the only way to communicate with the animals was through pictures. You know, people get images and send images, and that wasn't working for me. So I had to kind of find my own way, which was different from many other people. But um, it's certainly possible. And I think that if someone is open and willing to explore their own intuitive gifts and what works for them, then I think it's all possible. And, And you just start, you know. The good thing is that there are more and more people now that are actually teaching courses on animal communication. There are some really good ones that I've seen across the country. And um, you can actually work with a teacher. I didn't. I had a few teachers here and there along the way, you know, maybe a weekend workshop. But a lot of this stuff I just learned on my own from being with the animals. But there are a lot more possibilities right now. And I, and I want to say a word of warning, too, is many anybody can call themselves an animal communicator. You know, there's no license. There's no nothing you have to pass. Um, so you just have to really be careful uh, about who you're working with. Some are extremely legitimate and have, are experienced, have been doing it for years, and they're wonderful. There are other people that, you know, take a weekend workshop and claim they're an animal communicator. And and you just have to be careful if you're if you're going to work with someone or trust someone to give you a reading for your animals. Just be sure that they're really legitimate before you do it. What a, a great question. How do you tell legitimate from somebody who's just trying to scam you? Yeah. Like, what are the things you look for? Because I think that's where most vets, that's certainly where I land because, you know, come on, there's people on TV who claim all kind of things that I'm incredibly skeptical of, you know, uh, but you are a very intelligent person. You're, you're super, I mean, like I love hearing you talk, but how do I tell you from something that's not true? I think it's the way you tell anything about anybody. You know, first of all, you trust your gut. And if something doesn't feel right, you go with that. But also, as I said, I think a lot of this is about practice. And you want someone who's got some experience behind them. Um, You can ask for references. Are there people that they've worked with that can can, um, uh, endorse them? in a good way and um, look at their website, see if they've written a book, see if they've done any talks and just see who that person is before you trust them with your beloved pet, you know, and your money (laughs) and your money. Yeah, exactly. What does that expectation look like? So I, I think for some people, it's like, okay, besides my gut, how would I know? Because the truth is, it's not an exact science, right? You're not always going to 
communicate, but you know, you'll get the people who say, nope, that's not right. That's not my pet. That's not it. And, and you're not in tune or people who are, are truly, really highly connected. And so what is it, what could one expect just from calling and having a session with you? What does it look like? A session with me? Yeah. Or me any communicator? Specific- well, we're all different. Everybody works differently. So um, for me, um, my sessions last, at least an initial session lasts, I, I say an hour and a half, sometimes up to two hours, because I want to, I, I, what I do is I either go to the person's house or we can do it even by phone. And if we do it by phone, I request a picture because the eyes are the, are the pathway to the soul. So I need to see a picture of the animal. It helps. It's not necessary. Um, and then I ask the person to think of some questions that are really important. So we're, we're ready to go. And then I'll meet with the person. I'll do a whole history of, of that animal and their relationship and then see what they want to know, what's important to them, what's going on. And then I just get quiet. I, for me, I do an invocation or a prayer to start just to make sure that I'm creating sacred space and that we're all fully present and engaged. And then I'll start asking questions. When I first started doing this, and still a lot of times I do, I do mine through writing. You know, it's like automatic writing where I'll ask a question and then just write it out. But I can also speak it. And a lot of people, from what I understand, will speak like they're an interpreter for the animal and they'll, the animal will speak to them and then they'll say, uh, Fluffy says so-and-so and she needs this and that. For me, it's a little different. So usually when I'm speaking, I will speak as the animal. So the person would ask a question of the animal and I speak as that animal's voice. So it's, it's kind of more direct. And um, that's just how I work. Wow. I mean, is there a group like, like, is there like a credentialed society? Is there any, like, are you guys like, is there, is there a foundation that I could, yeah, that I could like say, okay, here's a list of like, of animal communicators who have met certain requirements. Does does that exist at all? Um, I know there are people that are trying to develop such a list. There's a guy that was starting a worldwide animal communicator or something or other, and he's got a list. You know, I've been so on my own, <laughs> I tell you the truth, I'm not real well versed in all of this. But um, there's another woman, Penelope Smith, who's been doing this forever, and she's got a list of communicators. I'm not on that list. I didn't study with her per se. So, um, and you can look on the internet if you research. I know people have found me that way, just animal communicator or in a certain state, or um, there are books. Some communicators have written books as I have. You can find their books and see what they're about. So, um, I'm not sure the best ways to find a good communicator because I just haven't been kind of in that world. 
So I guess I, it makes me kind of think about why do we have a communicator? So from a veterinary standpoint, I think there are times we look at our patients and think, I just wish you could tell me what was going on. Right. Um, and then I think there's sort of like a novel, like, is my pet happy? Or or certainly as we get kind of into the sunset of our, you know, I, you know, I, I always think to myself, you know, I've got my 13-year-old three-legged girl and it's like, could you just tell me how you're doing today? So what are, what are the applications? When would you recommend somebody reach out to a communicator? You know, the thing that I've worked with the most over the years is when people have an animal that's dying. And they want to know what they can do for that animal or what the animal wants to say to them. Um, uh, just have a whole conversation about death and dying. And to carry this a little further, which might be even a little more um, uh, difficult for some people, I can usually communicate with an animal uh, after it's died as well. Yeah. So... So that's been really, really helpful for people because there's so much angst that happens when you have a pet that you've had for years and they're about to leave. It's really, really stressful for the person and hard to know what to do. A lot of people feel extremely guilty for the way their animal dies, whether that's through euthanasia or they waited too long or not long enough and all that stuff. And what I've found from the animals is they don't think like that. If someone gives them uh, love and they treat them the best they can, that's all the animal ever wants. They don't, they don't judge us. They don't go into resentment. It just doesn't work that way for them. And I think knowing that can be really helpful. Barbara, I mean, and again, you're a veterinarian, so I want to keep stressing that to the viewfinder family because you've been trained the same way I have. You have the same basic educational background, so you're taught the scientific process. I mean, were you, when you were opening up to this, as you said, you know, you sort of knew you wanted something more, you felt like there was something more, suddenly you got tuned into this. Did your scientific brain like check your head a couple of times and say, whoa, Barbara, I mean, how did you, how'd you, yeah. Oh my God. Years and years and years of doubting myself. Wow. And it's been really, I mean, of all the things associated with this, that's been the hardest. It's just trusting myself and what I receive. Because we're so trained and conditioned to think that if you can't prove something, it's just not real, you know? And, um, and to believe some of this stuff is really hard when you've got that mindset. So that's been my biggest challenge. And over the years, I've seen enough evidence for myself that I know this is real and I know it's true. And, um, and that's just how it is. That's, I mean, I think it's actually really beautiful. And I'll say I, I have a close friend who um, in, instructs on mediumship in people. And she gave me a reading one time um, and, and referenced a dog that I had um, in high school in my, my really early 20s and said, you know, uh, and she didn't know him. He's not, a, you know, he, he was well before social media. And, you know, she said he just you rescued him. You didn't just adopt him like you rescued him and, and he knows you rescued him. and He just wants you to know he knows that he's thankful. And like the peace of mind I got that from the comfort that I got from that. And I never even really did carry guilt a lot around that. I knew he had a really great life, but that he appreciated that. And so I think 
knowing he felt rescued um, was really cool. And and what a beautiful thing to be able to bring um, peace of mind to people. So I see this as an application even for our folks who are in a mourning process. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's where I've seen the most. That's where the most exciting part to me is to help people through that process. But, you know, there are other applications, too. And for years, I've thought it would be so wonderful if veterinarians and veterinary technicians and people who've dedicated their lives to working with animals, if they could develop this skill and actually know what the animal needs what they're thinking, what they're feeling, if they could communicate to the animal what they're doing and why and how it's going to help them. I mean, that would be so beneficial, I think. Yeah. Well, listen, now I want to, I want to steer you into some trickier waters. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So, so let me, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and it's leading up to, uh, to a bigger question. So first of all, can you communicate with with all animals. Let's just start there with like all mammals, reptiles, birds. Can you talk to all animals? I think so. Okay. Okay. I, but, so. I haven't done it with all animals, but a lot of them. Right. But, yeah. but you feel like if you were presented with a zebra, that there's a good chance you could communicate with that or a, a crocodile or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so, and I agree with you. I think that there's this level of consciousness and you know where I'm going with this viewfinders because I'm that vegan guy, right? So, so now can I ask you this? Do, do, do you, do, do these farmed animals, I mean, are, are, are they communicating, you know, like, because this is where, you know, when we talk about welfare and we talk about feelings and all of that, and I know this is super controversial, but it's, it's, you know, why is it okay to communicate with a dog about a good death? And then suddenly we forget that there are chickens and pigs and cows yeah. being slaughtered. So sorry, viewfinders, but you know, I got to go there. I got an expert here. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have spoken with chickens and cows and and all of that. And I think they, of course, they have their conscience just like everybody else is. And I will say, I so appreciate you being vegan. And I wish I could be. But my body, it, I've tried a number of times, even just to be strictly vegetarian, and it hasn't worked for me. Um, my body just needs that kind of protein, and I can't digest beans very well. So that's been a hard one for me. And I would imagine there are people listening who might say that too, that it would be so wonderful not to eat these animals, but um, maybe you need to, you know? You get where I'm going, that collective consciousness, because I think that that does bear a little bit of discussion, you know, because we're veterinary professionals. We're supposed to be the stewards of welfare and humane treatment. And and sometimes, you know, I honestly, you know, I've been working on biometrical devices for a few years to try to, to get real data to show that, you know, suffering might be occurring. So I don't know. I need your help, you know. Of course it's occurring. And, and um, for me, the only way I can deal with having to eat meat is that I say a prayer every time I do and I bless the animal. Right. And I think there and, are ways that I we could do that, it. Yeah. We could do it better. You know, Barbara, it's the factory farming, the the massive oh, scale of animal agriculture that, you know, the fast food and, and really what people eat. So, so I just wanted to, to get, I apologize. That was completely self-serving viewfinders, but you know, it's just something that we need. That is the tough 
part of this topic to me. It's like, where does this go? How do we spin this up, you know, beyond just dogs and cats and the pets that we share our beds with and bedrooms with, but, you know, also to the broader scale of, of the planet, you know, I mean, you know, because yeah. I think the people like Barbara are actually, they have a, a much deeper message and that is probably one to take care of our entire planet, you know. Yeah. And I think it's important to eat organic and pasture raised and all that stuff if you are going to eat meat, because the way they're treated is just horrendous. And there's no justification for that in my mind. So, but, but they definitely do have consciousness. In fact, um, I'm writing a new book. It's a memoir and I have a whole chapter on turkeys. And uh, I had conversations with turkeys around Thanksgiving for a couple of years. And they're conscious beings, too. You know, this whole thing that we have to eat turkeys on Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, and the thing is, they're so, the animals at this level are so loving and so giving that, um, that if you ask and you really need to work with them, they're generous. All they ask from us is respect and reverence and appreciation, you know, for whatever they're doing for us. So I guess, um, well, I have a, a thousand questions for you. <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask is, and, and, and you hear this a lot from people who communicate in within any kind of species is, is it something you have to kind of turn on and turn off? You talked about sort of inviting that conversation, but I mean, are you like driving down the road ever and drive past a field of cows and, and, and get messages? I mean, as as off the wall as that sounds, like, do they kind of come through without control or is it really something you have to tap into? I think I think, again, that's part of the practice because you could be bombarded by by all this stuff. You know, if you were if you were turned on to this all the time, um, you can function, you know, it'd be too much. So I think part of the practice and part of learning about this is how do you, yeah, how do you turn it on and how do you turn it off? I think it's really important. And I think it's really important to um, protect ourselves so that we're not taking in the energy of everybody in the world, you know, and that's something that's been a challenge for me too, is being empathic, which is part of this process or being sensitive um, it's really easy to take on the feelings of other people and animals and, um, and you need to make sure that you're not doing that or it could be harmful. You know, Dr. Barbara, I, I think for me, what I'm trying to think of ways to share this with the viewfinders that they can relate to. And, and the closest I can come in my mind at this moment is I've been, you know, practicing meditation now for well over 25 years. And wow. when I, well, well, I think most of us, you know, you, you got to find something that you can get into and escape and shut down. But, you know, when I, when I'm in a deeply meditative state, I mean, I will do different exercises, but you know, I can, and this is going to sound bizarre to you viewfinders. And that's the point. Like I can literally feel blood flowing through certain vessels. Like I can wow. actually feel it. Right. But And many people that meditate, they're going to know you can feel breath moving throughout the parts of your lung. And, and these are things that you probably have worked on, right? You, you just feel different, especially when you're doing body work. But I'm guessing that if you're listening to that statement and here's a guy saying, I can feel the blood moving physically through a vessel, you're going, that's crazy. But at the same time, right? I mean, Barbara, that's the closest I can approximate to what you experience. You probably go into some type of 
structured process to get you in tune in like my deep meditation. And suddenly now I'm focusing on an area intently, right? Until I can actually feel the pores opening up and sweat pouring out if I'm in a sauna or something, right? You get where I'm going, Barbara? Is that what it's like for you? Like I have to intentionally go there and then it allows my sensations to open up. But, you know, I don't walk around all day going, oh, yeah, I feel some sweat in that pore. And, oh, yeah, there's a blood vessel in the air. You know, I, I don't do that. I can't. Yeah. Is, that yeah. what it, is that what it's like or something? Well, I don't feel my blood vessels, I will say. But, but, um, <laughs> but, but it is kind of like that. It's like, um, it's about, you know what? It's about focus. Yes, yes, It's exactly. about attention and focus. And, and if you focus... Like, like when I'm working with an animal or a group of animals, I can work with a group of animals as well as a single animal. But um, it's a focus on that particular being or beings and, and um, just being open to their energy and what they have to say and how they're feeling. And, and um, some, people, some people actually experience the physical sensations of that animal in their own body. I've had that occasionally, but, but not, um, not often. And, um, and you have to be careful. You don't want to take in that stuff, you know, so you have to learn how to channel that appropriately, you know? So it it is similar. Yeah. I'd have to assume that there's probably like several of these, but I, I can't let you go without asking about some of your most memorable conversations. Yeah, give us an example. Like, what what does a reading or or this communication event like look like? I mean, do you have an example that you could share with the viewfinders? Well, yeah, probably the one that impacted me the most was years ago. I had just been starting with this, and someone I had met at a party actually had his name was Alec, and he had a dog named Yoda, and Yoda was <laughs> this um, Airedale. And he had been paralyzed in the rear end for the last year. And Alec completely gave up his whole social life and devoted his whole all of his time to this dog. And he would carry him outside to do his business. He would um, clean up his messes in the house. I mean, it just went on and on. And Alec um, was about to move. He had to move. And he knew that Yoda was getting old. I think he was like, 14 or something and he was paralyzed and and Alec just knew it was about time so he asked me to come over and talk to Yoda and Yoda was truly a Yoda he was just this (laughs) wise being and he said you know my body is weak but my spirit is strong and um, I've so appreciated Alec and all he's done for me and I know it's about time to go and so, you know, I'm ready. And Alec planned the euthanasia like a month ahead, which I've never heard of before or since. And, um, and he just spent that time with, with Yoda. And on the day of his death, he invited me to of his euthanasia. There was another veterinarian who did the euthanasia, and I was invited to speak to Yoda and a couple other people. And we sat outside in the sunshine. It was this beautiful spring day, and Yoda had had a bath, and he was on this rug on the on the grass, and just looked so regal and peaceful. And um, 
and he was euthanized. And he gave me his final message, which was just how grateful he was, how how um, he how much he loved Alec, and he loved life, and he just wished the best for everyone. And um, something about that experience just just really touched me. Um, Another example was more recently in this past year, I worked with a cat who had, um, who had been relegated to living in the garage for nine years. These people, it was a, a couple and, and their um, daughter had had this cat and the daughter moved away, uh, went to college and they brought the cat into the house and he started peeing everywhere all over the carpet, all over the furniture, all over the drapes, everywhere in the house. And they couldn't stand it anymore. So he lived in the garage for nine years. And um, I went over as their last resort. They really wanted to be with this cat in the house. And I said, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this, but I'm going to try. So I talked to the cat. His name was Georgie. And um, and what I found out was uh, a year and a half earlier, there was a female cat that had died and she ran the roost in the house. I mean, she was the boss of the house. <laughs> and Georgie was still sensing her presence and smelling her and everything. And he was marking his territory, you what? know, like boys do. Yeah. And, and um, marked the whole house. And we talked to him, called him in, did a little energy work, just clearing some of this. I talked to the other cat, her name was AJ, and told her, you need to get out of here. You know, this isn't working, and sent her on her way. And um, right away, he stopped being in the house. They they kept him in the house, and that's just how wow. it was. Wow. Oh, that is so cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, this is uh, being broadcast uh, currently in uh, just before Christmas in 2020. I can't thank you enough for such an inspirational, uplifting, albeit unusual <laughs> conversation. Uh, Dr. Barbara, I got to tell you, I am, am just thrilled that there are people like you in the world. Dr. Barbara Shore, uh, where can they find out more about you if they're interested in getting in touch with you, maybe for their own animal communication reading. Oh, sure. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Um, my, my website is barbarashore.com and um, they can reach me. My email is barbara at barbarashore.com and that's, my name is S-H-O-R. No, there's no E on there. Any relation to the shoreline people? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, listen, Dr. Barbara Shore, visit her at barbarashore.com, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So definitely reach out to her. Viewfinders, what do you think about this? What do you think about animal communicators in general? Did you even know that there were veterinarians like Dr. Barbara Shore out there who were animal communicators? Does that change it at all for you? I really want to hear from you. Maybe even you feel that you're a bit of an empath or communicator in your own right. I think most of us are secretly. I think we do have kind of this ability because I think we've all sensed it before, but we really want to hear from you. That's right. And don't forget to check out Dr. Barbara Shore's book, Soul the Wild, Intimate Messages from the Hearts and Souls of Elephants and Whales. 
It's a beautiful compilation of telepathic soul-level conversations between Dr. Barbara and the group consciousness of elephants and whales. I know uh, what I'm reading this weekend, <laughs> and we want to hear from you guys. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder, and you can um, talk to Dr. Ernie on Twitter if you get a chance. <laughs> Don't forget to head over to Apple iTunes. Leave us a Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating present for us with five stars and a comment so that you, your friends can find out more about the toughest topics and you guys subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And I'm totally sensing that Becky is ready for me to get off the line now. Becky, that is not appropriate. We cannot say that on the air. I'm sorry. Viewfinder families, get ready for the holidays. They're almost here. We got some special episodes coming up. Until next time, as always, bye. Bye. We don't have to say that. We can just telepathically communicate it. Do that, Dr. Barbara, but say it in real language, like that we can hear. Bye, and thank you for listening. And and start really paying attention to your animals because they've got a lot to share with you. Thank you. Bye. That's awesome. Bye. That was so good. Oh, you made me cry.